Okay, so good morning, folks. I hope you have really enjoyed um, just praising the Lord this morning. Um, uh, Some of you are aware that on Wednesday, we started a season uh, in the church calendar called Lent. And so if you don't know what Lent is, that's okay, but it's, it's basically the 40 days that precedes Holy Week. And as Christians, oftentimes we pause and we reflect on what Jesus has done throughout Lent because we're here in the spring, right? And so the days are getting longer. And so with that, there's more and more hope, literally more and more light every single day as we ascend into Holy Week. And of course, the death of Jesus that has then been uh, conquered through the resurrection of Jesus. Um, I've been talking with some and praying for others. This has been a long either week or season for you. And so some of you need hope and some of you need this realization that God wins. And so on Easter Sunday, we know that God, God wins. And so if you are in one of those seasons where it's just almost too much to take, I would just encourage you to continue to trust in the Lord. Um, we have sent out a Lent guide. And so if you just want to follow along on a kind of a daily devotional, just know that that is available to us. As far as this moment here, uh, we preach God's Word, and we are in Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you've got these journals, go ahead and turn there. If not, we try to throw it up here on the screen uh, for everybody to follow along. And of course, you see there that we are going to start in verse 37 and going to read through the rest of the chapter. So this is God's Word according to Acts chapter 2, 37 and following. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children And all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from a crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every one of those souls. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and then distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we like to say back to the Lord a congregational response. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. 
So this is God's word, and this is the beginning. This is the origins of the church. What you are reading and what you're seeing and what you're underlining and what you are being inspired by right now are the beginnings of what we call church. Before that moment, it was only religion, and religion was in this very narrow row, but now we see something bigger, we see something stronger, and it all started with Peter preaching a pretty simple sermon that pointed to Jesus. What we see is that Jesus Christ, all right, on the very first sermon that we've gone through, Jesus Christ is ascending into heaven, literally like rising in the clouds. And that was an amazing day. Before he ascends, he tells the people to go and wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they did. They just sat around and they waited. So last week we talked about the fact that 120 people were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. How could it get any better than that? Well, today we will see that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of God's Word, there now became more people. On this one small day, with this one sermon, the church grew exponentially from 120 to 3,000. That was quite the day. So what in the world caused all of this growth? What was it that started this revolution? Was it only preaching? I mean, the preaching was good, right? It was the Apostle Peter. The preaching was great. He referenced the Old Testament. He exalted Christ. It was amazing, but it was more than that. This massive reception was because there was the blending of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. What we are living in right now is the age of the Spirit. We believe that Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father. The Father is fully enthroned. He is sovereign over all things, and His Son is to the right. But with us now, here, in this room, if you're walking with Jesus, you are literally filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus himself. The resurrected power is now living through you and in you. And so the question for us is we read this and we go, oh, that's nice. That's a wonderful history lesson. The first day of the church. We all need to know that and understand the grammar and the, 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 how things progressed. But more personally for you and me, do you believe? in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that the same power is available to you and me than what we see on these pages? If you're an adult in here, right, and you came to know Jesus as an adult, like me, I was 19, I was a college kid, but you know, adult-ish, we see something happen in verse 37. I want to direct your attention there. Verse 37 says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And so you're wondering, what is this Holy Spirit? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It's not by accident that the person who wrote these words, he's a doctor. And so he's very comfortable with very sharp objects in which he's able to do a literal incision on others. And so he uses this terminology to say that there has to be an incision on your heart. That you and I have to be cut to the heart as a doctor meticulously looks after us as we're under anesthesia to make an incision to allow 
God to come into your life. Has that happened to you? I'm not sure about that. I know some of your stories. I definitely don't know all of your stories. But has that happened to you? Have you been cut to the heart? Because we know that when that happens, at that moment, new life comes flooding into your hearts and into your lives. And that's what we want more for you than anything else is for new life to come onto you. We believe that the ascension of Jesus was remarkable because it was spectacular. To see a man rising on a cloud, that's amazing. Number two, the day of Pentecost when 120 just normal people, just like you and me, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other people's languages. That's remarkable. It says in this text that they're just simple Galileans. That means they're country folks. They're from Appalachia, like us. And it's like Dolly Parton learning to speak Romanian, just like that. Perfect. Like, it just doesn't happen. And yet, that's remarkable. And now we see... 3,000 people coming to know Jesus in one day, it just continues to get remarkable. But then it doesn't. Then it becomes very normal and very ordinary. And what we are about to read on these pages is a rhythm of your life and my life, a proof of new life that is in you, a way, a discipline, a rhythm of your life that just tells us exactly what is going on on the inside. I wasn't real sure what to entitle this sermon, right? And it's a terrible sermon. I'll just go ahead and admit this. There's a semicolon for one. But it's this idea that there's two worlds that are blending together all at once in one moment. That we, as individual souls, that we are individually saved. We can't be corporately saved. You are your own person. You have your own name. And we believe that your name has to be written in the word of life. It can't be generic. You can't be born into this thing. It has to happen to each one of us. And so we're individually saved, and yet we're blended into this thing called community. Acts 2, if it's anything, is this supernatural movement of how you can take an individual who is totally self-absorbed and something supernatural happened to that person that they would willingly and voluntarily give their lives for others. That is not human nature. In fact, that is as supernatural as anything else that you will read on this page. And that's because Jesus Christ is building his church. The church is the word assembly, the gathered ones. It says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is saving him, uh, people for himself. It's plural. It's together because something happens when the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, do something together. We're built for community. And we hear it over and over and over. And so these individuals, they start having something that changes in them. They start doing things that they weren't normally doing. And so I want you to go all the way down to 42, and I want to pick up a word that was really going to hold this whole sermon together. 
and they devoted themselves to, and a bunch of things follow. But let's stop with the word devoted. They, plural, devoted themselves, plural, to. And you don't have to read anything else beyond that. How many of you are trying or devoted to losing a little weight this year, right? Put on a little winter weight, have we? That's okay, we all have, that's fine. But if you're devoted to something, right, there's a goal, there's an aim, you're like, okay, today. How many of you have trained for like an event or a race or something? There's something in front of you. That's your aim, that's your going. How many of you have gotten a degree, an advanced degree? That's the goal, that's the aim. I can go on and on and on to help you understand the word devoted means for you to change all of your habits in order to streamline that way. The supernatural part of 42 to 47 is that what they devoted to was super generic and super vanilla, but also very supernatural. You're not going to be wowed by a lot of these words. And yet when you devote your life to these types of rhythms, your world, your personal world will change. Your church will change. And what we will see from chapter 3 on is the world will change. Sociologists point out that we can't keep more than three, four, five-ish priorities in our lives. And so what are the priorities? What are the things that you are devoted to? I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a great employee. You know, like you're running out of ways to prioritize. For the early church, in this early season, we get to see in black and white, we get to see what their rhythms actually look like so that we can try to emulate them as much as possible. It's really simple. They devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the table and prayers. And they devoted themselves to growth. Let me say it again. They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, the Lord's table and prayer, and also growth. So let's run through these. All right, first and foremost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this devotion, right, this practice, this rhythm, the reason you get up in the morning starts with the early church and should also emulate your life, starts with the idea of the Bible. They devoted themselves to a teaching that was outside of themselves. And so this one sign, right, this one proof that an incision has made in your heart and the Spirit of Christ has come into your life is that you are now devoted to an authority, to a scripture that is outside of yourselves. That means that you, Give yourself to the learning and the growing of your faith. That means that you find yourself under formalized teachings. Let me give a little historical context. This comment, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, predates the gospel of Mark, the conversion of, of Paul, all of the New Testament. And yet they still devoted themselves to the teaching of these apostles. So do you. Do you devote yourself? These are a people that are hungry for God's word. They want God's word. They want to live by it. But why in the world is teaching, right? The apostles' teaching, the word of God, why is it so essential for the early church? Well, 
the subtitle of this sermon series is Acts, right? The word multiplied. Over and over throughout the book of Acts, we see the word, the word of God doing the heavy lifting. Christ will build his church. Christ will build his community in the same way that he did from the very beginning. If you were to flip all the way to Genesis, the very first chapter in the book of Genesis, you will see this phrase repeated over and over. And God said, and it was so. God said, he spoke, and it was so. Over and over and over again. And so in the same creative impetus of creation is the same force. The word of God is what's going to create this new community. The word is going to do the work for us through the teaching of the apostles. So practically, are you sitting under teaching on a weekly basis? Do you have your Bibles open in front of your kids? Do you surround yourself with people who will point you to the word? Is that the type of rhythm? Is that the type of devotion that you have in your life right now? If not, we would encourage you to continue to read and meditate on this passage. Maybe, just maybe, you need an incision on your heart. Maybe this is what should convict you. So at Redstone Church, uh, we love to preach through books of the Bible, right? So you, if you're hanging around long enough, right, we just kind of, we love to start a book and just kind of work our way through a book of the Bible. That's what we're going to do with Acts. We're going to be in this book for about five months, And so this is called expository preaching, right? It's a fancy word, but basically the point of the text is the point of the sermon. And that's what we like to unfold on a weekly basis. The other thing that we like to do here to be honoring this is what we call to preach the whole counsel of God's word. Meaning we'll have Old Testament and New Testament. We have the Gospels and the Epistles. We'll we'll teach from the Torah or the Pentateuch, but also the Psalms and Proverbs. That's what we want to do, and that's what we want to be about. All of us are forced, right? Sorry. We're forced, after we read the scriptures, to say out loud, 1 Peter uh, 1, 24 and 25, that all flesh is like grass. There's flowers, right, of the field, because they, those things are going to wither and fall away. This sermon is going to wither and fall away. But the word of God, that's what's going to stand forever. That's what we want to give ourselves over to over and over and over again. We just want to make everything about Jesus. And we believe that Jesus will solve all of our problems. The early church was about the preaching, the preaching that points to Jesus. All right, so the second thing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Okay, so what exactly are we talking about here? So if you think about two arrows that are pointing in, the, the opposing arrows, that's what's happening. It's this idea of, of, of reciprocal nature. I'm giving to you and you're giving to me. I'm helping you, you're helping me. You, I serve you, you serve me. And it's reciprocal in nature. And so this fellowship is this idea that this community is being formed by real people doing real life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this wonderful book that if you've never read it, we would encourage you, I'd even buy you a copy. It's called Life Together. 
And it's this idea that we are better together than we are apart. Again, we're individuals, but we're built for this fellowship idea. Let me give you a couple of things that are in this text that point us to what this fellowship looks like. First and foremost, let me point to the people groups that are represented here. If you were here last week, you know that there were people from Arabia, there were people from Egypt, there were Parthenians, there were people from Crete and Rome. I mean, all over the place. This ethnic diversity is what keeps the church together. We're not supposed to look the same. We're not supposed to even have the same, like run in the same lanes. Our diversity is what actually makes us family. Our fellowship doesn't mean that we should just be able to pick a few of our favorite people and only hang out with them. The opposite is actually more true. You actually need to be with people that you disagree with, that will actually sharpen you more than just only aligning over and over and over again. The second thing that fellowship is in this context is this idea of generosity. Just notice, I mean, how many times... Not just the fellowship, but you go down to 45. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and they're distributing to the, uh, pro, uh, that, the proceeds to all as any has need. And so this idea of fellowship is we know each other's names. That's great. But do we know each other's needs? This idea of fellowship is just this ethnic diversity, but also a little bit open-handed with the things that God has given us. This idea of stewardship. And so generosity comes up over and over and over again. Why? Because it's supernatural. You're built, built to hold on, hold tight, and to keep close. Somehow, with the Spirit of God, He releases those hands and allows us to be generous with the possessions that we have. Do we have to give up everything? No. There were still homes that they worshiped in. Lydia gave up, you know, gave open or opened up her living room to, to um, start a church in Philippi. So we don't have to sell everything. But you have to be willing to be open with everything. And that sacrificial generosity, that is one of the incisions on the hearts of God's people. And that's when you know that God is doing a major work. The quote is that generosity, and this is a great quote from my reading this week, generosity is a natural consequence of fellowship. He puts it in the negative. It's a natural consequence of fellowship. You better know what you're getting into. It looks like this. And I could just tell you the stories of times in which this church family have opened up their homes to people that they didn't even know gave away basements and cars and paid for hospital bills, been able just to do this and that, to pay for lawyers, to help with an asylum of Ukraine. I mean, I just tell you story after story after story, and that's just the big ones, not to mention all the meals and all the visits and all the prayers. Why? Because God's people, when they live in fellowship, they're generous. That's what they do. Are you an individual? Yes. But are we uh, interdependent? Yes. And that is 
the, the rhythm and the movement of God's people over and over and over. Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus. Most believe that Theophilus is probably in Rome a long way. And this guy's main question is, how did Christianity end up here? It started a long way away with a bunch of insignificant, uneducated people. How did it end up here? How are my ears listening to this message right now? A lot of people believe the Word of God was preached. The Spirit of God brought power. But then the ethics of the Christian community flattened the entire society. They had never seen things like this. And I believe it might even start with part of the generosity. And then he moves on. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, thirdly, and then to the breaking of bread and prayers. You see up here, we see the tables of communion. You understand that the prayers of the church are very formal and sometimes liturgical. We say most of the time the same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because God's people have to be, have our identity set on the person and work of Jesus who both died and was raised for our sake. In Luke's gospel, he says the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread was the center part of where we understand who Jesus is, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, over and over and over again. Again, this isn't going to blow us away. It's super generic. A little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. But what happens when you break bread and you share wine? Oftentimes you do it with people that you disagree with. Oftentimes you do it maybe even in a home with strangers. And so this rhythm of this new community of people has at its center a loaf that's broken that both says his body broken for you, but also me giving it and sharing it and serving it to other people over and over and over again. And so we conclude our services with the Lord's table. A lot of churches, there's an altar call where maybe one or two people go and respond to the message or respond to Jesus. We have the opposite tact. We would like actually for everybody to respond. Some of you are far from Jesus this morning. Some of you need spurring and cutting on and that's a way for you to respond to say, I believe or I depend on you. And some of you have been walking with Jesus for many, many decades and you too need your heart to be warmed and to pierced to understand that everything in life comes down to the person and work of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. He was devoted to themselves, the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now this was a little bit of a stretch because I didn't know how to summit the rest of it up. But I just said they were just devoted, right, to growth. Because there's this idea that things just exponentially went forward. Awe went upon every soul. Many wonders and signs went forward. And they were believing that they were together, that they had in common. And so they sold things so that they could distribute. It went forward. 
And then day, right? And then day by day, meaning it went forward. And day by day, they attended the temple together. And then breaking of bread in their homes daily, they received food with gladness and generous hearts, meaning it went forward. Verse 47, praising God, I-N-G. It's ever going praising God and having favor with all people, they added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This idea of growth is not just numeric. It's the idea of that your influence is growing. Your courage is growing. Your boldness is growing. The Spirit of God, your trust in the Holy Spirit is growing. And so day by day by day, people who were far from Jesus, people who were far from community, found a place, found a home inside the community of Jesus Christ. And they couldn't help but share it. That one little word, praising, in verse 47, has caught my attention and caught my affections this week. Because after all of those things, they couldn't help but do this thing, praising God. That was their obligation to the watching world, that they would give credit to him over and over and over again. But preacher, I've had the worst week I've had in a long time. Yeah, but preacher, you don't know where I've been and you don't know the history that I've had. You don't know the strife that's inside my home or the sickness that is in my body. Somehow, the supernatural praising is as remarkable as anything that is on these pages because they were relentless in praising God day by day. The good ones and the bad ones, the strong ones and the weak ones, day by day, by day, by day, by day. We have something to celebrate. You didn't know me when I was 19. I was a piece of work, y'all. And God found me. He found me and he saved me. He gave me a brand new name. He adopted me. He did something in my life that he turned an egocentric man, right? On a, just a trajectory toward just selfishness to give his life to a topic that he hated, English and language. This idea of praising God is this idea that we can't help but saying the thing that is most true of us. And the thing that is most true of us as the Christian church is that we have been saved by grace through faith. That when we were rebels, that God's devotion is stronger than our devotion. Sure, they devoted themselves, but first and foremost, God himself devoted himself to us, to rescue us, and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so we praise him. We praise him over and over and over again. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the prayers and awe came upon every child, uh, uh, every soul. And the wonders and the signs they were beginning to do through the apostles. And all who bela- believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Today, we're going to take the Lord's table and we're going to take it together. And so you're going to come up front like always, and you're going to take the elements, uh, take of the elements, but we would encourage you to go back to your seats. We would encourage you to stay standing as you, we sing this communal song. And then I'm going to lead us through the taking of together because symbolically, we, you need to know you've got brothers and sisters who have devoted themselves to similar things. Let me pray for us. Lord, there may be a soul in here that has have never had an incision on their heart. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, you are doing an amazing supernatural work in somebody's heart through your word. And we just pray that God, that you will do that today. Some of us in here have fallen away from just these things that we need to devote ourselves to. These things that have to be our priority. Your word, the fellowship of the saints, coming to the table, and then also growth. Maybe you are, are slacking in one or more of these areas this morning. And maybe this passage has caught your attention that maybe I need to prioritize my day tomorrow very differently than when I woke up this morning. We pray that you too are cut to the heart. That we are convicted knowing that the good surgeon wants to heal us, to put us back together. Lord, more than anything, we want to lift up your name. And we want your name to be lifted up, not just in our lives and not just in this room, but the neighborhood to my right, the neighborhood to my left, all people in Johnson City and Appalachia to the ends of the world, help us to be relentless in seeing and understanding that we get to praise you for what you have done. And we get the awesome, awesome privilege of seeing people come to know Jesus. Rescue us from ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. He took a piece of bread and he broke it. It's a simple action. But then the scripture says, and says he then shared it or served it or gave it to others. He says, this is my body for you. He took a simple meal that they had done before, a simple element, just a, just a rudimentary element of life, bread. But then he served it to others and said, you have no idea. Tonight, you take bread. Tomorrow, you're going to see my life laid down for you. And we remember this until he returns. But then the picture gets even more 
just strong because he takes a glass of wine, wine that is meant for celebration and wedding and joy and gladness. He says, this is the cup. And he says, poured out for you. You think serving is one thing? What about being poured out for you so that you could have forgiveness of sin? And I'm going to start something new, a brand new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness. And so with these two elements, the church of Jesus Christ have come to say, this and this matters to us. This and this defines us. Our faith is not in our own selves or even our own devotion. Our faith is in the one who devoted himself to us fully and completely and sacrificially. So if you're walking with Jesus, if you have the spirit of Christ Jesus in you, come to the table. We're going to come together as a family. You may not even know each other's names. It doesn't matter. We're together. We're family. Because he's that strong and he's that supernatural to do the impossible. Cold, dark hearts to meet to made life and then also strangers to meet made family. So go ahead and stand to your feet. Come and grab these elements. Sing the communion uh, song. And then we're going to come back together and we're going to take these elements together. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his Mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory.
should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give But in the following instructions, I commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better. He says it's for the worse because in the first place, you've come together as a church and there are divisions among you and that is not good. Let there not be fractions among you, but instead be genuine. And so when you eat this meal, don't do it out of selfish gain. For I receive from the Lord, but I will also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, in the same way, he took the cup, after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Praise be to God. So King Jesus, we take of these elements together, corporately together, and we will do this until you return. You may come this afternoon. You may come in a year from now. You may come in a thousand years. But we pray that we would be found faithful, remembering you and you only. You are the rock in which we stand. You are going to build our church. This is how we should be known. And we ask this in Jesus.